You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yoshua Pupko in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I'm Aprom Kipolevich. Hello. Um, one of the things, Rabbi Pupko, that uh, saddens us on a almost daily basis um, is hearing of another person who has passed away. And, uh, you know, whether it's Larry King or Hank Aaron or, um, um, you know, uh, any number of people that we hear about, and especially here in the, in the Jewish world, um, we wonder how much COVID has contributed to their deaths, um, how much less uh, involvement there was in the hospital because of COVID, how much COVID made their, their life worse. And it's not just the celebrities, it's people all around our community. And I think every single one of us is saying, hmm, how much, how much did COVID affect their death? And that's something that we do when we contemplate it and we say, oh, is it, you know, the numbers, the numbers are growing. But we know that there's a, a, for us in the Orthodox community, there's a real difference here other than the rising numbers, which is the way that we have are reacting. Since I think the lockdown almost a year ago, or whatever you want to call it, the, the pandemic uh, acceptance, there has been a, a severe, severe limitations on the funerals themselves, the tahara, the ritual cleansing of the body, the funeral, and particularly, as we all know, uh, the comforting of the bereaved, the nicham avelim, the shiva, has all changed. And many of us, I'm sure you as the rabbi are certainly aware of it, but our listeners probably are aware of the fact that, oh, there's a, I'm not going to be able to visit, but I'm going to make a, a, a Zoom call and the shiva takes on a whole different nature. So what I, I'd like you as our emeritus rex, as our rabbi of rabbis, I'd like you to talk about this, first of all, the phenomena of the rabbi's importance as comforter and guide during the shiva, the way it was. And if now somehow that that situation, how that situation, we know it's changed, but give us the nuances of how it's changed. Now, before I let you um, dominate here, and you should, because this is your area, I just want to tell you, as a former rabbi myself, and you know I had been a rabbi for a short amount of time till they railroaded me out of there. I could have, I almost went out in the pine box myself, to tell you the truth. But, uh, but I did do my share of being involved in a base level. And I, and I remember a, a, a rabbi once gave me this advice. He said, look, this, this way that you act during this period might be the most important things you do as a rabbi, even more important than your drusha before Yom Kippur or, or appeal. The way that you handle yourself it's in the house of the bereaved is one of the central aspects of being a communal rabbi. And I said, is that even more important than visiting them in the hospital beforehand? And the rabbi gave sort of a cynical uh, smirk and said, okay, that's nothing. In other words, in other words visiting in the hospital, this is much more important 
about how you are the counselor and the guide and how you, you can miss a mincha, but you better not miss the davening in the base of hell. Um, you can use a mincha and shul, but you've got to be there and how crucial it is to be there. And, and I actually, and I know I want to give you your chance here. I, it, it struck me as very interesting and, and in a way somewhat cynical. But then when I thought about it, I said, well, many of the people that the rabbi is touching during uh, that period are people who, although they might come to Shoshana and Yom Kippur, this is their most intimate connection that they have uh, with the rabbi at this point. So I'm giving you a lot to masticate on here. Why don't you uh, uh, respond in your usual prescient, brilliant way? <laughs> I'm laughing um, about death. What can I tell you? <laughs> okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question, but I, I just want to preface it with something about related to COVID and illness and death, and then I'll talk about that. I think uh, there's a couple of things here that, that, that are important to note, just because we shouldn't um, ignore you know, what are really our priorities. What COVID has, where COVID has really hurt us, again, of course, besides illness and death, but where COVID has really hurt many of our people is the fact that many people uh, uh, were, were in a position where they left this world in a state of complete isolation. Uh, hospitals had very strict rules about who could and who couldn't visit. Uh, if you're in Canada and your kids are in the States, there are sometimes travel restrictions that come into play, uh, restrictions regard to quarantine uh, if you travel. So, um, so the fact that people left this world, elderly people, left this world without being surrounded with family at that uh, at the moment of passing and, and in the days and weeks beforehand, that was a uh, particularly cruel uh, reality. And, and so it's not just about, it's not just about um, uh, the Shiva. It's it, the, the isolation of COVID begins even, even before that. And, uh, and forget about the rabbi not being allowed uh, to visit in a hospital, depending uh, where you live and at what point in the, in the pandemic we are. But it's also um, it's also family couldn't visit, and uh, and because family couldn't visit, um, people died alone, and, and it's terrible. I did a funeral last week uh, for a Hungarian uh, a woman who had survived the Holocaust in the Budapest ghetto, and. Uh, her daughter finally got into the hospital, you know, uh, a day or two before, but for weeks, her mother had languished in a hospital completely alone. And that's, and that's terribly cruel. That is terribly cruel. And uh, basic human dignity demands otherwise. And it was very, that, that is a, a terrible loss. And then after the passing, funerals can't be normal. All of our funerals in Montreal uh, since, Before uh, you get know, to that, you know, I, I know I told you you were going to like pontificate, but I, and I say that because because of our relationship with each other when we did our Purim play and you were the Pope. Um, so I always <laughs> think about you as the pontiff of pontification. Um, I was Jesus, if you remember. I was Jesus and you were the Pope. So <laughs> but right. you discovered me in our play. 
Um, I know I'm being I'm being incredibly mirthful here because we're talking about such a somber subject. But anyway, I interrupt you, great pontiff, just to ask you (laughs) to just ask you about this just for a second. Um, First of all, um, two questions on what you just said. Number one, uh, do you believe there's something we can do um, to, you know, to advocate for a loosening of those rules to allow immediate family members, put them in a hazmat suit, put them in something? Um, like it, it seems like, like, like the, the fear of allowing a child and, and, and it's the same way a Black Lives Matter um, uh, protest should say, well, this is crucial and it's about humanity and it might be bigger than the risk. Can't we allow a certain grieving moment of death, period before death, to allow family in at that time? Can that, and if, Listen, if that I, hasn't been done. I, I'm, reluctant to, I'm reluctant to speak to that because I know, I know my situation here in Montreal. I know what goes on in the hospitals here. I don't know enough about what goes on everywhere else. I think that over the last 10, 11 months, not only has there been a variety of experiences across the continent, but there are a variety of experiences depending on what point in the calendar we were, where restrictions are, are imposed and then lifted and then reimposed. So I, I don't know, if, 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 but there's no question in my mind that no one should have to die alone and no person should languish in a hospital uh, isolated from family. And no matter how difficult COVID is at that moment, there has to be a way. There has to be a way. I understand you can't have, you know, three, three brothers, five children, and 12 grandchildren at the bedside, but one or two. I mean, I, I it, it must, that's basic humanity. It's basic humanity. I, I'll tell you here. And, in and York, so, here in New York, I visited, uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours who I told you about who was going through triple bypass. Right. He had one, he was allowed one visitor for the whole day. Right. And that was it. And it and, and, and the hospital was very good at it. So uh, it, it's not the same as being surrounded by family, but at least it gives. Right. Something. But at least it's something. Let me ask you. Right. One more so thing. that is crucial. Yeah. Let me ask you one other question before you get back to your overarching arc. Um, you say you did the funeral of this woman. What, what does that mean? You did the funeral. Were you there physically at the at the gravesite? Yeah, sure. Okay. That means the funerals in Montreal. We're now allowed to have. Uh, it's an outdoor funeral. Uh, there's no chapel service anymore. Everything is outdoors, where it's much safer, obviously. And uh, you're allowed to have 25 people at the funeral. Um, but, but uh, it is very difficult. It's difficult because many people in Montreal have family in the States uh, and it's, and, and travel is difficult. There are quarantine restrictions. And I, most of the time when there's a funeral now in Montreal, it means there's a child or two who aren't at their own parents' funeral, who are sitting in Los Angeles or New York or Florida and watching a funeral of their parents on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's it, it, it's terrible. It's terribly painful. They are denied that which we took for granted, which is to be surrounded by family and friends during a shiva at a funeral, and that doesn't happen. And it's devastating. It's devastating for people. So uh, you can't do a minion in a shiva house anymore in, in Montreal because you're not allowed to have guests in your home right now during these very strict 
uh, lockdown period. Uh, in the summer, it was a little bit uh, more liberal. We were allowed to do a minion outside. It was easier. You know, we went to the guy's house and, and we did a minion outside and, uh, and it worked out okay. And, uh, and if you're allowed to have services in a show, we were now allowed to have, we're not allowed to have more than 10 people, but, you know, mourners could theoretically come to shoulder, you know, to David at least, at least see people during the time of Davidin. But it's a very isolating experience. And, 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 and I know I've spoken to people, um, you know, weeks and months after that, a very lonely shiva. And it, uh, and, and it wasn't easy for people. You know, it's, uh, many people find great comfort in, the, in, in an authentic shiva. Uh, again, it's not everybody. Everybody's different. I know when I said shiva, I was just annoyed by having human beings around. But uh, some people find it very comforting. You know, um, not everybody is. Uh, and and, know, and I, the, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, the rabbi's role, and I'm sure, you know, despite your, you know, incredibly upbeat um, personality, I'm sure you were able to, in a normal period before COVID, I know you'd be able to, I'm just imagining how you would be able to temper um, your good humor with um, sympathy and understanding and, and making the person feel like they ha that the rabbi was their friend. I'm sure that's part of what it is to listen and to be involved and to, now in, a, in, a, in the shiva, the way it is uh, here now, what do you find yourself doing? I mean, what are you doing now in this? I mean, in a normal circumstance, in a pre-COVID world, in a normal circumstance, a rabbi's involvement begins, you know, visiting in the hospital, being there immediately after the death, navigating that those difficult hours uh, right after death. It means being with the family throughout. And by the way, it really is not dependent on what the rabbi says. It really what we say to people is really not that consequential. The most consequential thing is simply being there. I forget who it was that said 90 or 99% of life is just showing up. As a rabbi in a time of loss and illness and death, it's about showing up. It's simply about being there. It really is. And uh, the problem with shiva houses and rabbis at time is that we feel compelled to fill the silence and often when we open our mouths, not the smartest things come out. And therefore, just being there is, is the most important, really the most important thing. And especially if, you, if you're a rabbi in a situation where you knew the person who has now passed away, it, that means a lot because people want to hear good things about a mother and a father who just passed away. And the fact that you knew them and, and had a relationship with them is very important. It's important to me. It's basic humanity. It's basic. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a sincere and and a good instinct to want to hear that and and, and be uh, with people who 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 respected uh, the person you lost. It's, it's important. But um, and a eulogy is important. All that's important. But uh, the rabbi who advised you is certainly correct. You got to be there for people during shiva. You got to be there. And that and again, it's not about our ability to lead the minion. Thought about our ability to answer the halakhic shaila about what's allowed and what's not allowed. It's about being there. It's really just about being there. And, uh, uh, and, and, and nobody has the right, let me put it differently. No one has words during a shiva that takes the sting of death you know, away. That's not possible. But, but we do have by our presence and by our demeanor, 
have the ability to express that which is true, that the person is understood and this person is not alone. And, and that's the most important thing. I, I just want to tell you, Perry, part I, I think what, what you're saying is uh, uh, typically, uh, in, you know, the, the, the logical common sense thing. I will tell you that there are just parenthetically, um, the rabbi here, uh, the rabbi of the city, he's not, it's strange the way it works, the rabbi of the city, the rabbi of the shul. Is anyway, the rabbi of the, who's considered Rav Ha'ir, Rav Elozer Mayer Tights, who I think his father and your father, Elva Sholem, were- Yeah, sure, Pinchas, yeah. I'm a Pinchas Tights and your father, I think were, 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 were close, or at least had a very uh, good relationship. So his son, Rav Elozer Mayer, is El Gazun, already an octogenarian. Um, you know, he makes it a point to, uh, despite, you know, before COVID, despite his great age, to to try to be as present as possible <clears throat> at, at all the shivas in, 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 in the community. And what I really love about what he brings to the table, despite the fact that there's, you know, the august presence of a, of, of a man who's pushing himself in order to be there, you know, in somebody's living room and, and to make sure the minion is there and coming no matter what, um, is his expertise in Mishnayas. Because when they learn the Mishnayas uh, <laughs> during, you know, and of course, <clears throat> you know, you have, you know, these obscure Mishnayas that, that spell out uh, the, the word Nishama or the name of the, uh, of the, of the right. person who passed away. What I found great about what he was able to do, and of course it came from many years, is his ability to do take that learning experience, which is sort of like surreal, right? Because you know you have a bunch of people huddled into a room that they're not used to being. It might be the first time they're ever in this house. Uh, things are cluttered. There's a, a dining room table, and people are sitting in whatever type of folding chairs, and you know, many people are just waiting to say hamokum yinachem to comfort them. And then the rabbi, instead of uh, speaking about um, you know, the, the, the next world and about the person who passed away, the rabbi just opens up a Mishnah in Taharos and gives you the background and has this study period, um, you know, and, and, and is able to put it together. I'm not sure if, you know, I, I find that, you know, it, it, in a way, it's sort of like, you know, there are places where the Avelim go out of the room and not to hear the, the Torah, but the idea of sort of like this Torah from nowhere and, and the rabbi being right. able to, to, to sort of put it on the table, you know, it's sort of like, to me, it's, 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 it's a great, when I see it and I see a rabbi doing it, I, I take great comfort in it. It's almost like normalcy um, and, and in a way, a discussion about something but it's it, it isn't like what the hell is going on? Why are we talking about a mikvah and and whether it's tame and a sheretz and or Truman Tyra and 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 the the Jewish agricultural laws? Somehow having that period and, and being able to do it in a concise manner is somehow a very powerful thing. I don't know. Yeah, do, yeah. Do you relate to that at all? I'm not saying. You know, there, yeah, yeah, sure. But there's a wide spectrum of shiva house. In other words, if I walk into a shiva house where, you know, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of people who've been to yeshiva and understand what you're supposed to do and appreciate learning for the schos of the yeshiva, whatever it is, 
then you can, you know, then you, then it's what they grew up with, it's what they expect to hear. And it's not a jarring cultural moment where all of a sudden some rabbi's talking about, you know, an obscure mission in Tyrus. And, uh, you know, they understand what, what is supposed to be done. When, if I walk into a home where the people are not Shomer Shabbos and they, they haven't been yeshiva, they don't know what's going on, I will not do that. I will I will take a Mishnah from Pirkei Avos, and I will, in fact, relate it back to what was said in Leviah, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll do it that way. But uh, it really, you got to know who you're talking to. Yeah, it's so, funny uh, that you know, I, I, you know, uh, uh, people who are more literate. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was just going to say. Yeah, it, so people are more literate. You can do certain things, and people who are, yeah. That's the, you know that's what I would have said as well. But I've seen Rav Tites, he should be gesund, pull it off, you know, in a community where they, I guess they had a certain modicum level of understanding. But I've seen him talk to Grub Amaratzim, and still be able to do it, and be able to um, bring people in, and it's almost like, you know, it's an escape. But on the other hand, it's somehow it buoys you and gives you a sense of comfort hearing about it. Even people who are not learned. I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating. Okay. I, 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 when I think about a rabbi's talents, you know, when I sometimes get involved in a Mishnah, I'll overcomplicate it or try to give you too much. I, I, I thought it was a greatly, a great skill to be able to, uh, to yeah. describe a subject and, and, and somehow Take it sort of takes your mind off, but it also anchors you at the same way. Right. Um, no, absolutely. That's a it, that's, you know you, you learn you learn how to do these things. Yeah. You know, you you talk about so okay. Let's talk about you and Zoom now. When you are right. uh, you know you are officially the rabbi and someone has passed away. So are you? Do you make it a point of? I mean, you're not running. You're not. You're not. Are, do you make sure to be there during Zoom a lot? What do you do? Oh, for the, no, I won't go on a Zoom shiva. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that means either. Uh, I, I, no, only, you know, certain limits to my. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just I find it awkward. But what I will do is before Levaya, when I usually would go to somebody's house and talk to them about the about the parent, I do it now. Sometimes just by telephone, and sometimes on FaceTime. I'll do it. Okay. And sometimes I'm doing. Uh, you know, a conference call with people in different locations. So I, I will do that beforehand. Afterwards, I just call people. So, I, I don't visit Shivas on Zoom. I, I don't. I, that's not my. Thing. Well, it's sort of the same thing: a telephone call or a Zoom call. I, I, I don't know people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be in touch with people. It's all. It's simply about reaching out. But again, because of COVID, much that we took for granted can no longer be done. You can't sit with people. You can't look at them in the eye. It's it's a different experience. You can't be with them in the hospital. You can't, you can't, you know, it, it's it's a very different experience and a lot has been lost. You know, it's shattering for people to be just have suffered a loss and then live and then be in isolation during Shiva. It can be shattering. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, and and, and, and you know, the way I understand it, um, you know, and Rev Salvechik spoke about this a lot. Um, the incredible um, psychological acuity. I don't know if that's those two words should go together so well, but the 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 acuity of of Chazal and understanding what a person needed. 
you know, th- th- right now you need to be alone, but you need to have your closest people coming to you and nursing you and babying you, so to speak, surrounding you and 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 and, 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 and showing that comfort. But they need you shouldn't be out. On the other hand, they need to be there with you, uh, and um, really stopping right. a person, stopping you a know, person. You know, it's a remarkable balance. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. If one without the I other, mean, listen, maybe we take it for granted. We, we, go ahead. Right. No, we, we, we right. It's, it's it, if you talk, I mean, I've read this stuff. It's been years, but I, I read this stuff where, you know, uh, a non jewish psychologist, you know, read the laws of Shiva and said how brilliant it is and strikes the right balance, as you just said, between the need to withdraw, but the need to m- maintain connection. You know, and, and and all this stuff and the different stages one goes through of, of the shock and then and, and then the gradual realization and and, and mourning yeah, that, that that how halacha seems to be exactly in sync with that. I mean, if you if you dabble with people, you know, and, and as maybe because you and I are a little cynical and you know and, and you know, but if you watch people come to shul every day who never came to shul before. To say Kaddish for a parent. And they're not necessarily even religious. But and again, this phenomenon is less common than it used to be. In the old days, you know, you, you went to Shiva. Um, I mean, you, went, you would say Kaddish no matter what. Uh, I mean, we used to call our son, this is my Kaddish. I mean, that's what we used to do. Um, but um, but and then you, you watch them over the year as they learn how to dial them better. And maybe after two, three months, they learn how to be a shliach tibra for Myers, right? And you watch that progression. And a more important is how the experience becomes deeper and more meaningful the more it's done. And then you watch someone on the 11th, you know, on the 11th month, when they stop saying Kaddish, how painful it is for them to stop saying Kaddish because the Kaddish and the mother or the father who had passed away, and 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 and, and it, but again, it it created a connection. Let me let me put it a little differently. It created a vehicle for the connection. That means for those moments of the day when you're standing and davening and, and saying kaddish, that's the moment of quiet connection to, to to a parent. And when that is over, it's. It's it's like another step away from, from the life of a parent, but it's not a negative. That's not a negative. That's just reality of life. And and but but the cottage provided that opportunity because you see people who don't observe these things and they kind of flounder. Right? We need an ex- we need a vehicle for the expression of what we're feeling, and and the cottage does that. And the cottage does that. The dominant comes that coming and being with people for, you know, 40 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon or 30 minutes, it, it creates a connection. And then, you know, you get a cottage buddy, right? There's two guys whose right. cottage overlaps. And, you know, it creates a community. It creates, it does so much. Now, none of these things that I've mentioned are the reason we say cottage. The reason we say cottage is because you say cottage. Because we know that's the Jewish practice. But what I'm describing are the are, are 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 the great benefits of something, and a lot of people confuse benefits with reasons. 
but the great benefit of Goddard is remarkable. First of all, I mean, even just from, you know, the silly, you know, super, I mean, you learn how to dive it. People who never went to shul now come to shul. And they often, not always, but they often continue to come to shul. Maybe not every day, but they continue to come twice a week, once a week. They continue to come. But those, again, are the unintended benefits. I, I, I think what you're saying is... is but it's, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable experience. I agree. And I think that many of the... You know, and the many, many, as you say, fr- sort of friendships are, are, are created from people who would never have probably given each other the time of day. But now that they've stood together and each either taking turns, uh, finishing the, the, the chakras or saying the Kaddish together has, has formed a connection to these people that is probably extremely valuable. And no, because I, I see families all the time where somebody dies and there are three kids and only one of them kept Kaddish, let's say, right? Only one of them went to show. And you see them a year later, right? There's no question that the one who decided to say Kaddish is in a, is in a remarkably different place than the one who didn't say Kaddish. The one who decided to say Kaddish feels, the, and, and, and again, it's this is an effect of Kaddish. They, they they feel the loss in a deeper way, but in many ways they've integrated that loss into their character. It, it's not distant from them. It's been interwoven into their character and the way they look at life in a way that those who don't say Kaddish, I don't think really ever experience. It becomes, and it's elevated. It, 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 it does, it's not depressing. It's not. It, it doesn't it paralyze or cripple. It, it it really does enhance. There's a there. The morning has a you know there's there's a there's a resonance to it that, that and a depth to it that that cottage provides. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let me just throw in two things here. One of them, um, you know, I I, I got through this. Uh, sort of a shaggy dog book, you know, it's, it goes all over the place, but it's very impressive. Leon Wieseltier's Kaddish. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, oh, that's the best book on Kaddish. That's the best book on Kaddish. So, but it's all, it, it's really, you know, Leon is a brilliant guy. Yes. Yes. It's, it's really a tragedy. I don't know if it's a tragedy. Maybe he got what he deserved. You know, he became a victim of the me too movement. No, he did not get what he deserved. What? No, no he is an absolute victim. I mean, the worst anybody ever said to him was not a damning accusation. The you know, worst, he, if you believe the worst of what was said, it did not, it did not deserve the consequence that that, that was. Like he, like he was. Right now, I just, I'm reading now his new journal. Leon is a savvy, I'm, and I mean that. You know, he's a righteous man. Just, Leon. I, you know, I had okay. the. I had. The I know ch- Leon. I know Leon. Oh, I had the chance to meet him. Maybe, maybe we can get him on our program here. And Leon is wonderful. And I, his, the fact that he was silenced, I got to tell you something, but the funniest thing about Leon, I'll tell you the funniest thing. When he was writing, he was literary editor of the New Republic. Yes. He had the chutzpah to do something. No Jew in history ever had the chutzpah to do. He's writing an article in the New Republic and without translating or even explaining, he uses the concept of Kim Le in an article in the New Republic, it just keeps going. <laughs> I thought it was the funniest thing. He's a yeshiva bach. I mean, he learned yeshiva. I know. He's an anical, yes, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a and he's a brilliant guy. 
And uh, he always defended Jewish honor, always defended the state of Israel with great eloquence and with great intelligence and very persuasively. And he will certainly, he certainly deserves all the praise in the world for doing that. And if you go back and read the original banning accusation, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. He complimented somebody. Yeah. And that was it. By the way, and that compliment followed upon the person asking, what do you think? So, I mean, if, Al, if people are now saying, well, maybe we went too far without Franken, Allah has come of the comment a hundred times, really on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I, like I said, I'm serious. You know, you should reach out to him and tell him how, you know, we're, we're his fans and it'd be great to give him another voice somehow. Um, but Leon, you know, in that book. No, but when he wrote the book he wrote on Kaddish, it was a fantastic, he wrote a fantastic book. Right. It, it was a book that was really, right here his, his, it was a decision that he made after his father had died to investigate the history and the halachas behind this idea of saying Kaddish uh, when you are a, a, a person who is mourning the death of a parent. Anyway, he quotes something there, which, yes. which I hadn't seen before. And I love this. It's from the Marshal. Uh, I sent him a message once, by the way. I said, the book is great. I wish you would have given footnotes to your sources in the back. <laughs> because, you, you know, you at least, at least you know, somebody or, or, or have a shit yingle do that. You know, it turns out, you know, you, right, you, you, we, we can't look up any of this great stuff. But here is a Chuvas Marshall that he quotes or a statement Marshall made. The reason why we have a mourner saying Kaddish which has nothing to do with the dead. It has to do with the glorification of God's name, the idea of God, God, the world will be restored, is that when you see someone who's been through death, somebody who has maybe the most right to complain, someone who's been shattered, someone who has take, taken someone on a cancer fight and is lost terribly, and yet he stands up there and proclaims how God is great and how the world is going to a better place, then the rest of us sit back and say, if he can do that, despite of what he's experienced, then we, of course, can join the chorus. That is, I'm sure you've heard this before, but 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 I thought that was a very. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you, if you'll permit me, I want to tell you a story. I always permit you. I, I, I just like saying it, feel for me, as if I care. You know. Anyway. Go ahead. Um, a story I. It's interesting, a story I heard from my father, but I, I subsequently read the story um, with slightly different versions. So I won't, I, I won't get into details about the contested parts of the story, but the story goes something like this. You know, in the, in the, in the 1840s, uh, there were, um, there was the time of the Cantonists where, 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 where Jewish children were kidnapped by the Tsar's army and put into indentured servitude. So this story takes place about 60 years after this. And there are a group of Rabbanim who find themselves in Moscow for Yom Kippur because they had gone there to intervene with the government about something and got stuck in Moscow for, for Yom Kippur and it came time for Neela. And they, and they, and they didn't know where to go to show for Neela. So they went to a, a, a show they heard about. It was a minion of Cantonese. I mean, these now aged veterans of the Tsar's army who had their own minion. And these are kids, former kids, I should say, who were kidnapped when they were 12 or 14 years old. Their education as Jews ended then, but their devotion continued 
to their lives. And it came Nila. And the story goes that one of them got up to Davin Kliyama Nila, and before he started, he went like this. He said in Yiddish, he says, what do we Davin, what do people Davin for? We Davin for children, we Davin for our health, and we Davin for Parnassa. He goes, Bona, he says, none of us ever were given the opportunity to marry. We were kept in the Tsar's army. We were never allowed to have families. We never married. Chaya, we're all old. It's already too late for us. Nezayna, we get a pension from the from the Tsar. We're okay. So what are we daven for? And he started to say, Yiskado, Yiskado, Shmei Rabba. That's what we daven for. So you're, you're, so what the Marshal says is absolutely correct. That when those who have suffered and been denied get up and say Yiskado, Yiskado, that's a, that's a, that's a them. Exactly what it is. And yeah, it's a great story. I think that the um, that the uh, and it's lost sometimes because you know of the uh, people don't translate the Kaddish well and don't read. They always call it the prayer for the dead. Um, and uh, I think uh, you know uh, it didn't mean that much to me. I think I I watched the first two seasons of Homeland and I remember Mandy Patinkin after I forgot exactly. He's always saying Kaddish. I forgot exactly what happened there, but I think he was saying Kaddish. Like there was some attack at the State Department and everybody got blown up or something. It was at the CIA. The attack was at the CIA. At the CIA. And he thought Carrie was dead until she showed up because she was. Mandy went went and said Kaddish um, for everybody there. Um, He was always saying Kaddish. Yeah. He said Kaddish for that, uh, for that, for the child. For that American girl who had uh, joined uh, the bad people, and then she committed suicide when he went to visit her in prison with his the eyeglasses he left on the table, uh-huh. and um, and I think he said Kaddish. He was always saying Kaddish. He's always saying Kaddish. We should do, we should do a montage or a collage of all the Hollywood Kaddish. <laughs> and I think and, and and I think they're getting it wrong. They always assume that the Kaddish is um, is well, meant- right. 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 And, and really what it is, of course, is and, and now let, let's take us back to COVID. I guess these Avelum that we've been talking about, many of them are probably not going to go to shul during a COVID. Right. Right? They're not. In other words, this experience that you were talking about, about the not such religious person, the person who had been a little bit uh, disenfranchised coming back, finding the community. All that is also evaporated during COVID as well. Correct. I mean, certainly. Those who are very devoted to Jewish life will, of course, continue to come to Shul Sekadi. But again, people who, under normal circumstances, would have come to Shul for a week, for a month, for a year, uh, many of them are not coming because of the restrictions, because of the fear of COVID, because their wives won't let them go to Shul, whatever it is. So it, the, the Kaddish experience is seriously and profoundly compromised, no question. It's been denied many people, or they've denied it to themselves. So, it, it, I, I guess you know. I, I was hoping that we could, you know, come up with some positives here. And unfortunately, the positive is I, that I, you got to get this thing over with. That's the positive thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, because no. It, I'll tell you the positive thing. I'll tell you there is something very positive, and I know it's sophomoric, and I know it's it's obvious, but. 
maybe it'll renew our appreciation for uh, for Jewish life, Jewish ritual life, and all that it does for us, because its absence has certainly highlighted its centrality. And that's a, that is a not the most sophisticated idea in the world. Uh, you only appreciate something once you've lost it. Is is something we all learned when we were eleven years old. But it is very true, and that maybe it'll deepen our appreciation for the uh, the architecture of our Jewish lives, so that you know we have a greater appreciation for it going forward, and not to take it so for granted. It is a very what well, we are we're very lucky in Jews. We've been given a lot, and and we've been given the uh, the most intelligent and and most uh, meaningful ways to express and to live our lives, and and we should and we should be grateful for it. Well, I don't believe it's sophomoric, although it's it's an idea that it hasn't registered until we now actually realize what it is that we've lost. Uh, let, let me throw in something and hear what you feel about it. Um, you know, part of what Zoom, and, and we've talked about the power of Zoom and the weakness of Zoom, part of what Zoom demands is... Um, exactitude and concentration. Uh, a visit, when it was done in normal circumstances, you're right, you're there. Uh, you shuffle to a chair, your body language, you know, you're there, maybe you stick your hand out and hold the, the, the person who's mourning's hand. And in Zoom, you can't do that. But maybe what people need to do is write down certain statements, work on it, and especially if there's like 20 people on the Zoom and the oval is staring into his computer and there's a number of faces around. Perhaps it's important, again, to be quiet when you have nothing to say, but also to prepare yourself better. And if there's something that you had a connection to, to, to offer it, um, you know, and, and I think maybe you got to work harder if you are going to visit someone, prepare it. Have a little two-sentence statement about your feelings, about what that person means to you, about what the person who passed away was, and then recede. In other words, you're part of a, a constellation of people. Now's your moment. It's sort of like Lahavdil at a wedding where you got one shtick that you can do, right? And you know you can do right. that, jump in and out. In the Zoom as well, if there's a statement you say, say that, and then recede. And I would say one other thing, and again, I'm interested if people are listening. The other thing is, just like at a wedding, the person who does his shtick and then goes and sits at the table is not really part of it. If you are part of the Zoom connection, even after you've spoken, you don't necessarily sign off. Right. You don't necessarily, okay, now I've said what I have to say, and now you disappear. Because that's, and again, a, a sort of an affront to the person. After you've said- it's all, Listen, I don't, I, again, I don't, I, I don't do the Zoom show. I don't really understand. All right, well, I don't know how to do it. But, but I, w I would agree with you on one very important thing, is that you have to be very careful what you say in a shiva house. And the Gemara says the reward of a base of is shtinker, is quiet. 
you know, just to be there. I mean, this is not the Gemara says you go to a base. Oh, you should be quiet. And and too often people don't know how to be quiet. Jews are tend to to talk, and not only do they tend to talk, they tend to say things that are foolish. I'll tell you what I see a lot. I'll tell you what I see from is that you know you go to somebody and you know, they're standing over the shiva chair and oh, and somehow too many of our people think they're in a competition for Rahmanas at that moment. That the person sitting Shiva, who is this lost, somehow may get more Rahmanas than them, and they have to start talking about their own thoughts, right? And the, 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 the Baba has psoriasis, whatever it is, you know, and I went through this, and I did do this, and I, you know, no, you're not a Shiva house, you're not there to talk about yourself, you're not there to talk about your thoughts, you're there to embrace the pain of another Jew. That's what you're there for. And if you want to sit in a Shiva house and do intelligent things, you sit quietly, you do what Halacha tells you, the Oval talks to you, you answer, that you can ask, tell me something about your mother, and tell me something about you. If you knew them, you say, let me tell you what I experienced. You talk about the mace and finish. It's not that hard. I mean, I'll tell you something. I remember that about five, six years ago, there was these YouTube videos. You know, I, I won't use the word. They use stuff people do, stuff these people say. So there was a video that went out a couple of uh, young guys from Montreal did it. Stuff you hear in a shiva house, meaning funny stuff. You know, people the wrong things people say. You know, and it's just very funny. So, like one of them, I remember, and it's all POV. It's like point of view from the shiva chair, looking up at the people sure. saying Narishkeit. Uh, one of them I remember is the the the, 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 the visitor says to the oval, "Did your father tell you about his Stuyvis before he died?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so. It's uh, some people say foolish things. I mean, there's no question. And, and therefore, whether it's Zoom or live and in person, people should think about what they're going to say before they say it. So, so, so that's exactly the, the positive I'm trying to put on it, uh, Rabbi Pupko, is that because you realize when you're looking and if you're at a computer on your phone, you see that, you know, everybody's, you know, you've got your point, you probably logically won't say something stupid, although I don't know. I, I think the Zoom might help as far as that goes. Maybe. Uh, More focus. Like you say, we need to get out of this. But as long as we're still in this and people, and it sounds like with the rollout being as slow as it is and the deaths surging, it's going to continue. By the way, Canada Canada just got the polio vaccine. So we're, we're making progress. <laughs> All right. <laughs> A bracha to Jonas Salt. So I'll go upon and perhaps that, that itself can, right. And speaking about the Nechama, uh, I'm, I'm happy that you're not giving me Nechama on my beloved Packers loss. I, I have to tell you something. I watched that game. and I did not. I don't understand what happened in that game. I, I, I don't, the field goal, a lot of call, I don't, it was not. I was very distressed about that game. Well, I, 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 I was, I was preparing my shear, and you know, my people say, you know, Rabbi, you don't watch the game because you're really learning the schus your Packers to win because, right? Like <laughs> no, I'm worried, but, but, no but I, first of all, the whole thing is wrong. The Brady is not. I mean, how how can it happen in Lambeau Field that Brady, like you say, the. I mean, I was I was thinking about you when I heard the when I heard about the win and I said Rabbi Pupko is right Brady has made a deal with Mephistopheles. No, the whole it's wrong. 
there's something wrong. It's just the sitrache. I'm telling you, it makes no sense. How could how could a 43 year old person come into to, to Lambo on a cold day and somehow take a warm weather team and throw? I, it doesn't make any to... sense. The only I tell you, the only nechama I have, I have to tell you, because although Brady's an avatuma, the avia voice of Tuma is Belichick, and the only thing I know is that. Watching Brady win must have driven Belichick crazy. So the only nechama is that Belichick was more upset than I was. Well, I, I have to say, although you know my 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 podcast persona is not exactly, you know, uh, it's a little bit of a of an effect. I have to tell you, it's bleeding into it because I was bummed out on. No, but on, I'll tell you something. I didn't else. even I did not even watch any highlights of the game, just knowing the. Oh, absolutely. I relate to that. Whenever the Steelers lose, I can't look at ESPN for a week. I, I, I'm in the morning. I regularly see the game. So, so here's what I will tell you. In that, so, we are brothers. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, I have, I have a new t-shirt. I got a new t-shirt that I wear when I watch the Steelers games. It says, it's a, a faded American flag. And it says, God, family, Steelers. And that's all there is. I mean, that's it. Anyway, so. Um, Let me tell you that, that my computer was not turned off before Shabbos this week. And, and, and I had the new, I had an article right before Shabbos I was looking at. It was a picture of the 1965 Packers um, uh, championship team. So I sat down and, you know, sort of guiltily looking at it and saying, wow. And they were all sitting there like in the sixties. It was interesting how that they had their hands cupped in front of them, the people sitting in the front rows, and I'm sitting there looking at it, and tears are coming out of my eyes, and I'm seeing all the dead players, seeing all the people <laughs> who had been on the championship team, and, and seeing how Bart Starr, of course, Bart Starr, of course, was the, was the centerpiece of the team, and he's sitting up on the side, and, and I was saying, what an yeah, incredible era yeah. this was. All right. It's gotten to a digest. The whole thing. Well, thank you for the nechama. No, but, but one second. There's one nechama. There's one nechama. Oh, okay, I, I would the have said I should have for the Packers, but go ahead. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least they have a nice Jewish owner who gives a lot of stuff. What's <laughs> his name? The Glazer. The owned by the Glazer. Oh, oh, the Bucks have got a, yeah. No, no. What can I tell you? Take care, my yeah. friend. Thank anyway. you for thank you for the Nahoma. And from Title Town. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.